And that is everything. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. I was just saving something really sweet for January, but you should know that we have nominated Philip to be the next co-chair. So um, you're going to start your heavy lifting with Alana in January. We're going to be thrilled to have you co-leading the committee. Yeah. We work fast around here. All of that happened one night at the Hanukkah party. Everything. People left, they came and got new jobs, we got new co-chairs, it was great. Did, how many people here were at the Hanukkah party? Excellent. That was, wasn't that a cool venue on Jones? Great parking, too. My car wasn't there when I got out, but it was great parking. <laughs> in the, it, was, it was in the Tenderloin, but it was great parking while it lasted. <laughs> so as, um, as Marsha said, um, she's glad I'm back, and um, I've been gone for a week, and um, several of the rabbis, Rabbi Bauer and Rabbi Jaffe and Rabbi Singer, Rabbi Jonathan, are still in San Diego, uh, because this week was the Reform Movement's biannual conference in San Diego. Um, and it's a little bit like the late Shabbat, except not as good because Marsha wasn't there. Um, and there's also 5,000 Jews. Um, so as you can imagine, um, it was quite a display of Reform Judaism, a lot of Reform Jewish pride. Um, and most people here have probably not been to a biennial, but it happens every two years, and it has um, for probably a hundred years of Reform Jewish history. And um, I just wanted to share with you that the first time I went to a biennial, there's been five or 6,000 Jews going to the biennial for all of these years. My first biennial was exactly 30 years ago this week. Um, I was one, and... <laughs> So I was 16 years old, I was the president of my youth group in Chicago, and um, I got to go with the NIFTY delegation, the National Federation of Temple Youth, which is really very vibrant right now, as is um, youth engagement in camps. There were a lot of kids there, it was great to see. Um, and I was a 16-year-old, and I had known since I was like 9, 10 years old that I wanted to be a rabbi. But were there women rabbis when I was born? No, there were not women rabbis when I was born. So um, imagine whatever you do today, whatever gender you are, that that gender cannot do the thing that you're doing. You're not allowed to. Like if you're a doctor, man can't be a doctor, right? If you're a teacher, woman can't be a teacher. So I go to the biennial when I'm 16 years old and with five, 6,000 Jews in Houston, Texas, um, they had to bus us around. So I was on one of the huge shuttle buses going to um, the Friday night to Fila and I sat down and I'd gotten separated from my nifty group. So I was on the bus and there was one seat and I sat down and I turned and who was sitting next to me? Rabbi Sally Prezand, the first woman ever ordained in the world. But I was so verklempt, I literally couldn't say a word to her. I didn't know what to say. I was like frozen, like here, here she is, here's... And then we got off the bus and that was it. And the next morning, my rabbi, Michael Levinson, said, I was in my ordination class last year, was one of the first women who was ordained, and I want you to meet her because she's going to be an inspiration to you and, and the whole movement, and you just need to meet her. And so he brought me over, and here was this 29-year-old woman who was from the East Coast, was totally hot, smart, sharp, charismatic, and I got to talk to my first woman rabbi, Rabbi Elise Frischman. And she went on to do amazing things in the movement. Like if you... Um, think about the book you're praying from, if you look on the first page, she wrote this. She's like one of the biggest liturgists in the country. She's the editor of Mishkan Tefillah. It was a 20-year project that she did so that Jews all over the world could have this prayer book, Rabbi Elise Frischman. So, um, 
Suffice it to say, she had a very big impact on my rabbinate. And when I was 16 years old, 30 years ago, meeting her for the first time, as you can imagine, imagine like having never met the thing that you are going to be in your life. And I kind of followed her around the biennial for the next four days, literally, like, what's it gonna look like? What's it gonna be? Because um, it was possible, finally. And so, uh, a couple weeks ago, I get a phone call from Ruth Messenger, the president of American Jewish World Service, and she says, I'd like you to um, be one of the presenters of the biennial with us, and it's gonna be, um, it's gonna be you, it's gonna be me, it's gonna be Rabbi Lisa Edwards, who is the um, lesbian rabbi of the first LGBT synagogue in America, it's 40 years old this year, and she said, and Rabbi Elise Frischman. I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna be on a panel with Rabbi Elise Frischman. Like for me, that was really, like something. And so yesterday I was on a panel with Rabbi Elise Frischman and, and uh, we were talking and I said, do you remember the first time we met? She said, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but to be there surrounded, first of all on this panel, this very dynamic panel of change makers, um, and to be with 5,000 Jews, some people might be overwhelmed by it. Um, most people are overwhelmed to be in a group of 5,000 Jews. But for me, to be, to be in that group and to present at these sessions and talk about why Jews need to change the world was incredibly powerful. And um, the four sessions that I was involved in were all talking about our relationship to the world as Jews. And it was really remarkable for me because as we have this Torah portion, by Yechi, it comes to the very um, last portion of the book of Genesis. We begin with the creation of the world and in the very last book, by Yechi, of Genesis, both Jacob and Joseph die. And it's right at the end of the moment when Joseph and his 11 brothers reconcile um, after a terrible period of being estranged for so long after Joseph's brothers tried to kill him. So at the very end of um, the Torah portion of Vayigash, Joseph and his brothers reconcile. It's a very tearful reconciliation. Um, and then the this book ends with Jacob dying. But right after Jacob dies, the 11 brothers freak out because they think that the reconciliation wasn't real. They think that Joseph probably still wants to kill them. And so right after their father dies, they get together and they say, we gotta tell Joseph that dad said something he didn't say. And so they go to Joseph and they say, right before Jacob died, he said to, to us, make sure you tell your brother Joseph that he has to keep taking care of you for the rest of your lives because they were not so sure that it wasn't gonna be a Cain and Abel moment. And for me, that was very, it's a very profound moment in the Torah because brothers and sisters are still killing each other all over the world. And when I think about the fact that the anniversary, the yard site of the Sandy Hook tragedy is tomorrow, and what happened today in Colorado, if you haven't heard, there was another school shooting. Um, a teenager went in to kill his teacher and when he got there, the teacher was alerted and got away, and so he shot two other students, and then he killed himself today, one year after Sandy Hook. So being in San Diego with 5,000 Jews who are committed to making a difference and to changing things in ourselves, in our families, in our communities, in the world, um, was powerful, and I have to um, say B'Shem Omrah in the name of Rabbi Elise Frischman, the most beautiful, um, image that I have is an image that she shared about um, a trip that she took when she was in India with American Jewish World Service. And she was looking at the people who are completely impoverished, women who are in the sex trade, children who are being trafficked, um, and the, the LGBTQ 
um, partner that they were meeting with and thinking to herself, how do I explain when I get back to the Jews why we care so much about the people on the edges, the people on the fringes? Because um, some of us aren't as in touch with what it was like when we were slaves in Egypt and how we were treated. And she said she started imagining a gown, a women's gown, and how the sleeves came up and kind of the bodice and how it flowed to the ground. And she imagined what it would be like if on the ground, the very edge of the garment began to fray. And she said, that's what the world community and the Jewish community and our families are like. It's like a frayed garment. When something is frayed at the very bottom, if you come back much later, the whole garment is disintegrated because we're all connected. And if you don't take care of the very edges of the community, everyone eventually suffers. So to be in a place um, of, of suffering, as she was in India, I went to India with AJWS, and to think about what it means that in our own Torah, it ends with a little bit more suffering, where brothers are uncertain of one another, even though there's been reconciliation. Um, there's a sadness there. But at the end of every single Torah portion, we say the very same thing. Say chazak, chazak, venit chazek which means be strong, be strong, and we will be strengthened. The very last word says we will be strengthened. And so it felt very powerful to be in a group of 5,000 engaged Jews, and even more powerful that, that more Jews than any other sessions were attending the justice sessions. And so when we think about the time on Shabbat when we're supposed to really meditate and reflect and be together as a community, I want to charge you with thinking about something that's wrong. It's the yard site, the anniversary of Sandy Hook, another student took his own life today, a teenager. And when you think about the people who are hungry, who are homeless, who are desperately in need, when we think about the fact that, you know, if kids are out with guns, it's not just guns, it's about mental health, the things that are broken. And sometimes it's easier to just go like this. Like, not hear it or not see it. Um, but as Jews were commanded to be the ones who pursue justice and to make a difference in the world. So on this Shabbat, I want you to think about the way you envision yourself being somebody who takes care of those who are on the edges, because you never know when you're going to be on the edge yourself. Shabbat shalom.